Our second reading this morning is from Judges, and it is chapter 13, verses 1 to 24. It is on page 249 in the Church Bibles. It's page 249, Judges chapter 13, and starting at verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so that the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man named Zorah, named Moriah, Maniah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart to God from birth and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man from God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God who you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up, followed his wife, When he came to the man, he said, Are you the one who talked with my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine or drink any wine or other fermented drink nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond your understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. 
we are doomed to die. He said to his wife, we have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. Morning, everyone. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, we pray as we come to your word that, Lord, you would speak to us, help us, lead us, encourage us and enthuse us, correct us and train us, make us more like our Saviour, Jesus. In his name we pray and keep me from error, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we've been looking at the book of Judges for a while now. We've still got a couple of weeks to go. This is part one of Samson, three weeks to go, sorry, uh, this week and two others. Uh, Samson is too long a story for one sermon, so we're looking at it in detail which is actually something we often don't know, to be honest. Uh, does anyone know the 19, I think it's 1948? No, 1950 movie. Does anyone know the 1950 movie, Samson and Delilah? Do you know that movie? Anyone? You've seen it? It's Victor Mature. Mature. How do you pronounce his name? Victor Mature. You know, Victor? Did you know Victor? Yeah. And uh, Hedy? Hedy? Lamar, Hedy, Hedy, Lamar, yeah, Hedy. So there you go. If you know that story well, forget it. It's got nothing to do with this. But anyway, as you know, uh, Samson is, uh, that's Hollywood, isn't it? Uh, you know the story of uh, what's happening in Judges, the cycle that goes round and round. I want you to watch out for the cycle in Samson and see if you can identify what's happening. The the, you remember the cycle? The cycle where the, they abandon the Lord and then in comes another nation which subjugates them and terrorises them and takes them over and then after a while they cry out to God. They remember who they're actually is their God. They cry out and he hears them and he raises up a judge who delivers them from their oppressors and then they enjoy that peace and the cycle goes around. Remember we said it was a bit of a Remember the ice cream cone? Everyone remembers the ice cream cone idea. The book looks like that, so there's a cycle. But we're actually spiralling down. But notice a cone goes in like this. So the cycle will start to get quicker and also when you get to the end, it starts to, where is it? And so I want you to... Notice in the story, uh, and when I say story, please hear, this is uh, Samson's true story, but do hear and notice what's happening and what doesn't happen. Well, it happens again in chapter 13, verse 1, birth of Samson. Once again, the Israelites are in trouble and they cry out to their God because the Philistines, you've heard of the Philistines? They, they usually get a bad rap. 
The Philistines are here and they're doing their bit to make Israel's life miserable. And so God answers their prayers and he does it by when an angel of the Lord appears to the wife of a man named Manoah. They don't have any children. In verse 3, he tells her, you are going to have a son. He will be a Nazarite from birth, which means in verse 5, he's been set apart for God. Now, I want you to remember that all Israel is God's set-apart people, but notice in here he is set-apart and it's expressed in this vow which people could take called Nazarite. Now, you have to actually know what that means, so let me give you a, a little bit of a summary of what it is. If you go to Leviticus 6, uh, sorry, Numbers 6, you'll find that and you'll find it uh, in Exodus as well. But a Nazarite is someone who will it must abstain from alcohol. They make a vow, so it's a vow of separation, and they make it for a period of time. So if I wanted to do it, uh, we don't do these things anymore, but back if I was back there, I would say, I'm going to make a vow to you, God. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to drink alcohol, not going to touch vinegar made from wine or grape juice or raisins or eat grapes, nothing from the vine, apparently, nor go near a dead body nor use a razor on my head, which means my hair gets long. What's Samson known for? Long hair. There you go. That's where it comes from. It comes from this vow. The vow goes for a certain period of time. You make the vow. It goes for a time. You say, I'm going to do this for a year or whatever it is. And then once that's finished, you cut off your hair and apart from other offerings, you burn your hair. Has anyone ever cut their hair off for any reason? Charity, anyone? No? Okay. But anyway, you've seen people do that? Well, in this vow, you would cut off your hair to signal that you'd finished, and it would be burnt on the offering just as all the other offerings were made. Notice who makes the vow. Normally, it's the person who makes the vow. Where does the vow come from in our story? It comes from the angel, not from Samson. He hasn't made the decision. The angel comes and says he will be a Nazarite. And so this is reported by Samson's mother to her husband in verse 7. She reports he's to be a Nazarite from birth, but she adds a detail, which is a little bit odd. Verse 7, she says, he will be a Nazarite from birth until his death. The angel has not told her that. She adds that. They are her own words. What does she mean? Well, We'll find out what she means. But in this, what we're finding, in what you'll find in Samson's life is a woman will enter his life and set the path for it. And this is the first example. Samson's life 
will be is a gift of God, but it's also one that's quite all over the place, as you probably know. Manoah prays, that's his dad, Samson's dad prays in verse 8, and the angel reappears. Manoah says, what's your name? Can I have your name? And the angel says his name is wonderful, translated something like the NIV, I think, says beyond your understanding. It comes from Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, pretty much this word. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? That's the word, same word. We're going to see in the, this whole tale of Samson, God doing great wonders. We're going to also see, I warn you, God breaking conventions. What's a convention? You know what a convention is? It's not a big building where you invite people because you've got to list, come and listen to someone. What's a convention? We mightn't use this word much. Sort of like a tradition, a way things work, isn't it? Uh, if I do this or if we do that or this will happen or don't do this, otherwise that will happen, that sort of convention. You know, those sort of society conventions. You're going to see God breaking conventions just as you see Samson breaking conventions. And verse 21b to 22 is an a convention broken right there. Manoah realised that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife, for we have seen God. But, of course, right there, it's a, a convention is something that humans expect to happen, and that's what they expected. God breaks that convention. You might think it's not much of a convention, but want, notice that, God does things unexpectedly as humans calculate it. From the birth, we know God is in charge of certain things. Life, death, fertility, all are in God's hands right from the start. Secondly, Samson's marriage, which is not something we've read. <clears throat> At the end of verse chapter 13 in verse 24, the Spirit of God began to stir in Samson. And when you hear that, what do you expect? In a judge, you expect what him to, he should do what he's been called to do. That's what you expect. You expect him to do the thing he was made to do, which was deliver his people. In Samson, we get something different. Chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our people? Must you go to the Philistines to get a wife? Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. So what does our hero do? The spirit of God comes upon him 
Does he go as he's directed by his God to deliver his people? No. We suddenly end up in some strange marriage drama. And remember I said the faithful guys all have small stories and the guys who are a little bit complicated, shall we say, their stories are very complicated. (laughs) Samson is no different. Samson here is asking his father and mother to arrange a wedding. Othniel, in chapter 1, verse 13, one of the things he did as a faithful judge and the model, as I suggested, for who a judge should be, one of the things he did was marry rightly, married an Israelite woman. Why? They were told not to intermarry. They were told to not to stay with an Israelite people, not to marry from around the people around them. Instead, Samson wants to marry a woman from the enemy. And he asks his father and mother to arrange this wedding. Again, remember his wife says, uh, Manoah and his wife says, isn't there someone suitable? He says no. And did you notice there's a very harsh tone in Samson when he speaks to his parents. He's also someone who doesn't seem to obey the commandments when it comes to your parents. Honour your father and your mother. Samson seems to speak badly to them, not honour them. The author, though, at this time tells us something in verse 4 that no one else in this story knows. It's a funny thing that happens in stories. He gives you an insight that something God knows But Samson doesn't even know. Verse 4, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Remember we said God will be breaking conventions here. The last thing you thought would have happened would be This would be God's doing. But verse 4 makes it plain it is. Why? Because Samson needs to take up the call on his life and this wayward guy is going to be be done to be... (laughs) So God is going to get him to do it any way he can. God wants Samson to take and confront the Philistines. And so somehow this is the plan. Verse 10, the plan of the wedding goes ahead. And uh, Samson's father is there and a wedding feast is organised. And Samson does something weird, which is not unusual for Samson, really. He pulls out a riddle. He pulls it out to show his superiority over all these people these stupid Philistines, and anyone else who's there. Who's really the smart guy here? I am, says Samson. What is the riddle? The riddle is this, verse 14. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Here is our hero confronting the Philistines with what? A riddle. What is he doing with the riddle? 
He's showing that he's smarter and he's also going to take their money. It's a bet. Now, I wonder if you thought uh, uh, you're looking for a new minister, you've got rid of Keith, Uh, that's good, good for you. Anyway, you're looking for the next one and you're looking for the guy and he's the guy who likes to bet. How's that go? If I said I'm coming to work here, I've just got to go down to the tab and place a few bets on the races at Canterbury, how would you? You wouldn't respond very well. Here is our hero. He's seen, he's marrying the woman he shouldn't be marrying. He's engaged in some sort of strange game with these people, and he's trying to take their money from them. What is going on? Well, we know where he got the riddle from because we've read verses 5 to 9 of chapter 14, which I've skipped. On the way down to this town, Samson is confronted and set upon by a lion. Now, you know this story, don't you? Samson and the lion. Who knows this story? Samson and the lion. This is why. He's on his way to do some strange event, and this strange event happens. Verse 6, we see Samson's great strength. Why do we think Samson is strong? Why does the movie say he's strong? He's got long hair. That's not true. The truth is is because the spirit of the living God is upon him and then the long hair is a sign of the vow that the angel had spoken of. But anyway, here is his first sign of his strength. Verse 6, he defeats the lion with his bare hands. Now, has anyone ever seen a lion up close? It is a young lion, so maybe that's not that bad. But uh, anyway, it's pretty impressive, isn't it, in one sense? he, The lion sets upon him and he kills the lion. In doing so, though, Samson has broken a vow. One of the parts of his vow is to never have anything to do with dead bodies. That includes animals. Samson couldn't have had more involvement. He's the one who's killed him with his bare hands. Verse 8 and 9, he comes back as he's passing this same event. He sees the carcass and there are bees there. He goes over to the carcass. The bees are there because they've made their home in the carcass and he scoops out the honey and eats it and gives it to his parents. Is the story sounding very strange to you so far? Yes. Good. Notice that. It's odd. Everything about it is odd. But here he is, marrying wrongly, breaking vows, gambling. Who is Samson? What sort of judge is he? Back to the wedding. We come to the riddle, and it's pretty impossible. I don't know if you've ever thought. If we, do, we know the story, we know the answer. We know the answer to that question. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. The answer to it is the lion. But how would you know the answer? The people who don't know what happened don't know the answer. 
So what do they do? Who are these people that Samson is involved with? They're stumped and they're not happy about being stumped because they're about to lose the bet. So what do they do? They go to his wife-to-be in verse 15 of chapter 14. If she doesn't tell them what the answer is, get the answer for her, they'll put her to death and her whole household by burning them alive. It's a nice family, isn't it? Glad I didn't marry into this family. Well, Verse 16 to 17 happens. Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't explained it to my father or my mother, Samson replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, He finally told her because she continued to press him. And she, in turn, then explained the riddle to her people. Samson gives in. His wife's been crying for seven days and he gives in. He collapses under all this pressure, tells her what the answer is, and then she goes and finds the people who he's bet with, tells them, so that they come back to him with the answer. Well, Samson is furious. He is out of his mind with rage because he, how can this happen? He knows he's been dudded. So what does he do? Our man of God. Verse 19 He goes down to Ashkelon, which is another town in Philistia, Philistine town. He strikes down 30 men, takes all their clothes and their belongings and then brings them back to pay the debt. Now, how are you feeling about him, Samson? How are you feeling about Samson? Good guy. He's all <laughs> rightly at this stage you're saying, I don't know what is going on. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard from up the front, and I don't know why we do it. Well, it's in God's word. You're right to think this is all wrong. Ashkelon is a Philistine city. Samson has been raised to rescue the Israelites. Verse 19 even says The spirit of the Lord is with him in this. Samson goes to confront the Philistines, sort of, but why? He does it to fulfill a bet and because he's furious at being made look stupid. Something's very strange and up here. He's not the guy you expect. And one thing, again, we might notice, it's a continuation a little bit from Gideon, only I think it's even worse. Where is the Lord in this story? It's a story, but where is God in this story? He's at the start when the angel comes to his parents 
Has Samson sought God's direction as we've gone along in this sorry tale? Uh, the answer is not even in the slightest. Yet, God breaks a convention. The Lord is with him, stays with him. Verse 19, he is the source of his great strength because it's the spirit of the living God that makes him strong, not his hair. When he confronts the lion, God is there. When he goes down to Ashkelon, God hasn't left him. God hasn't abandoned Samson. Samson is doing his best to ignore the living God who called him, doing best to ignore all that he was meant to do because God has asked him. He behaves differently <clears throat> in every single way that we expect. Samson is doing his best to ignore God. But God stays with him. At the end of the chapter, Samson goes home and his wife is given, it says, to a friend, probably someone who was a friend of his family, probably not Samson. I don't know that Samson would have had many friends. He goes home and he doesn't get anything, such as the bitter end of this little episode. Next week we're going to continue on and that's when we conclude our look at Samson. But rightfully you're asking, what can we learn possibly from Samson? <clears throat> Samson right from the start of his life is God's person. Who is responsible for that? God, not Samson. That's a great truth. When you know the Lord Jesus, the truth that we have, which we don't go telling others they don't have, we have, is that God knew you and he's always known you and he always will know you. God's got you and will never let you go. Samson, in all his madness, shows it's God who comes to us. Secondly, it also shows that despite our actions, God is faithful to his word. Samson is someone who isn't exactly God's most faithful servant, is he? He's not even close. Yet God remains with him. God's favour is not earned by us. Instead, we are people who've been given great grace and mercy. We're to live obediently, unlike Samson, so he's a great example not to be like. But he's also an example, thirdly, of what happens when you run completely the opposite way. You can get frustrated. Samson is one of the most frustrated figures in the Bible's history, in its story, in its pages. Samson is frustrated at the end of this story. He will continue to be very frustrated. Why? Because God has asked him to be like this and at every single point you'll find him trying to be that. 
God is not like us. He behaves truthfully at all times. He is merciful and gracious beyond what he should do. He breaks conventions. He is all-powerful and in control. God's ways and our ways are very different. Yet we are to conform our lives by the power of his spirit, which he's given us, to live obediently to what he has asked us to do. Samson points us strangely, you might say, to Jesus. He couldn't be more opposite. Jesus walked faithfully and lived his calling in life as the obedient son. But he lived also as the obedient human, the obedient man, the second Adam, as the Bible will say. He learned to live obediently and in the conditions that we live under. He learned to walk faithfully in his calling, even to death, death on a cross. And when he despaired of where he was going in Gethsemane, he trusted his father in heaven and walked that way. Jesus came to the cross and fulfilled his mission, confronting our enemy, sin and death, and defeated it. And by the power of God in him was raised to death, raised to life from the dead, that we might also know life. Jesus is the one who follows our Father perfectly. And in him we are seen to have done the same. By grace and mercy, that obedience that Jesus fulfilled in his life is graciously given to us. We don't deserve it. We're a little bit Samson-like, hopefully not too much like. (laughs) But we've been all over the place. Uh, I know a minister uh, in the Prezi Church who uh, has a criminal record, served time in jail. In fact, was uh, converted in jail and came to know the Lord and now ministers in church. Uh, His testimony is that God had his hand on him his whole life. Yet if it was up to me, maybe I would be going, you're you're an ex-con, I don't know. You're going to have to prove it, you know. I don't know, would I, maybe we should choose someone else. God chose him. Uh, we had to get on board with that. We did, which was nice. And he serves faithfully. He's, he's much better than I. He's a great guy who walks despite the way he started. Samson is a, a, an encouragement to us that doesn't matter who we know, perhaps our family, our friends, They might be all over the place right now. But if God knows them, keep praying and he will lead them to his saviour, Jesus, who has already walked the way before them. Never too late. Trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we must admit to being completely confused by Samson. It's a very strange story. 
and yet it's yours. And he's there for us, and he's there as a, a man of faith, says Hebrews 11, who shows us what you're like, your graciousness and love towards us in Christ Jesus manifold, so that we may know you and love you and serve you. Father, you have interceded for us in the person of Jesus, brought us to your side. We're thankful that our Saviour was faithful to the end and that you will always be faithful to us. We confess we don't understand what it means that you knew us before the creation of the world, but we're thankful that that is true. We trust you. We pray for those perhaps whom we have on our heart right now, whom we know, who are very dear to us perhaps, perhaps our, our friends, our neighbours, who don't know you, we pray that you might lead them to you. We ask, Lord, despite perhaps what they're even doing right now, <clears throat> they may seem far away. We ask, Lord, that you would come alive in their lives by the power of your spirit and lead them in faith and trust to your side. In Jesus' name we pray.